Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Takeout Delivery and Catering Show. Today, we have Jeff Chasney, founder and CEO of Daring Solutions. Jeff will outline and review what operators can do to best leverage their guest and kitchen information for long-term sales results. Hi, Valerie. It's great to be with you. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. So, Jeff, um, to get started, tell us a little bit about Daring Solutions and uh, your background in restaurants. You bet. Well, let me start off by saying I've been in the restaurant industry for closing in on 30 years now. It's uh, I've been with a number of different concepts, and it ranges anywhere from quick serve to mid-scale to fine dine. So, in, indeed, I know the restaurant industry quite well. Uh, Daring Solutions was an idea that I had for a number of years, and what it attempts to do is to optimize the kitchen, and it does that using artificial intelligence. And the the particular methods that it uses uh, are called intelligence augmentation. So it brings about a whole new way of interacting with your systems in the kitchen. Instead of there being displays, they wear headsets, they get voice instructions. It tells them what to cook, when to cook it, how to cook it, and it uses a bunch of different fancy methods to accomplish it. So it's one of the components of trying to bring excellence into the restaurants. Oh, that's really interesting. So how has sort of takeout and and catering and delivery changed the use of artificial intelligence or has it from your experience? Uh, I I think that has probably um, increased the need for some augmentation of your people in the restaurants. And the reason for that is that we're into some brand new territory here. When you think about things like Grubhub and Uber Eats, uh, catering, all of these things are brand new. And it's these are areas that your restaurant staff really don't have familiarity with. And so as a result, they really need all the assistance that they can get to drive service levels. And we remain in a capitalistic country. And the way you build your business is by improving your services that you give to your consumer. And in in our case, of course, that's the the food going out to our consumers. Gosh, Jeff, that's so fascinating. So in what ways do you see artificial intelligence helping um, in that way? Well, there's a few things that can be done. First off, when you start talking about things like statistics and forecasting, first thing that happens is everybody glazes over and they go, oh my God, how did I get in this kind of a conversation? (laughs) But then the second thing that happens is that this isn't something that you can sit and take days and weeks to accomplish. Everything today is about capitalizing just in time. Um, And it's a whole new way of thinking about things. When you think about training in the restaurant, Uh, Let's take the kitchen, for example. Uh, Just-in-time training is now called active learning. And the reason it's active learning is that there's no time for you to be able to spend an hour to figure out how to cook something, how to build a sandwich. You've got to do it right away. Similarly, with these new channels, and they really are just new ways of getting food out to our consumer, the food hasn't changed our manner of uh, getting it to the customer has dramatically changed. It's a new component 
that challenges many things like how long can it be held? How quick uh, in advance can we produce it? And those are things that artificial intelligence can do very rapidly and it can do it automatically to improve the quality and make sure that none of that gets compromised by the time it arrives at the consumer's door. So if we're using that in terms of delivery, how does it maintain that data so that if you're working in the kitchen, you know that something has either like passed its time to walk out the door and maybe it has to be remade or that it's going to maintain the integrity throughout the process? There's a there's a number of components on this, Valerie. And uh, first off, I'd say you got to know what you're expecting will be needed. Part of that is going to be a, a short-term forecast into the future. How are things going today um, against what you thought was going to happen? Maybe you thought you were going to need, let's just call it 10 sandwiches in the next 15 minutes, but it's raining outside and things are running slower. But the other thing, Two components that are very key are going to be how long does it take to prepare, Mm -hmm. whether that's cook time or build time of a sandwich, um, and how long can it be held? And everything, literally everything, has a hold time. Uh, you you, You never pull something off the griddle and slap it right into your mouth. There's usually some sit time that's going to occur, and the quality then... Uh, diminishes across time. So you got to manage all of those things at the same time. And again, that's something that artificial intelligence and mathematics can do very readily. But as humans, we are not very competent at doing those things right at the moment. It takes us a bit longer to be able to figure those things out. So systems help dramatically in this new avenue where indeed for all of the different consumers that are in my door right now and all the orders that I know of and those things that I believe are going to happen in the near term, along with what are the channels that this food is going to go out through? Is it going to be a carry out? Is it going to be a drive through order? Uh, are we going to have a driver pick this up for delivery? Uh, or is this something that is going to be done well in advance for a catered event? And you take all of that information together and you figure out what is it I want to tell that this particular uh, restaurant kitchen worker to do right now? What's the most important thing? So part of what uh, the system does, and uh, the system, by the way, is called Kitchen AI, is it figures all that out, and then it also uses some heuristics about behavior. We as humans are are good at uh, remembering just a few things at a time, so it gives you enough things to do that you should get them accomplished within 60 seconds, and then it waits for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm done with that, so it can then tell you the next thing to do. So it's constantly optimizing what you're doing, what is now Now that you're available right this moment, now what's the most important thing for you to focus on? Yeah, well, I think I'm so interested in this because we've talked a lot on um, the history of the podcast about the use of AI throughout the ordering process and consumers using AI to order. But we haven't gone so much into the use of it in the back of the house in terms of the kitchen. And so um, 
I think this is just such a fascinating concept. And it's probably been around for a long time. It just something just kind of clicked in my own, you know, my own mind. Um, it actually has not been around for a long time at all, Valerie. The, oh, the beauty of, of my position right now is that it's nowhere out there. That's also the challenge because not only do you, <laughs> do you want to get a new product out there, but you've got to educate everyone as to what is this product all about? Why do, why do you really need AI in your kitchen and how is that going to benefit you? Um, the second piece of it is people kind of know that AI is going to be a smarter way of doing things, but this is brand new interface as well. No longer are you tied down by being able to be in sight of a kitchen display, a monitor sitting in the kitchen, but now it's literally talking to you um, and giving you verbal instructions. You're telling it okay back. It can be multilingual. Uh, that's important in places like Miami or in San Diego, where uh, Spanish is uh, is the first language for a number of your workers. So there's a number of things that uh, it does to really help optimize that kitchen. But it's all driven by data. Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to ask you. So what kind of data can operators glean from this? And I'm going to kind of backtrack for a minute and say what you know, what about it has gotten you so excited given your history working in uh, IT uh, in restaurants? Uh, that's a great question, Valerie. And, and what, what actually keyed me in on this was a study that we had done when I was with um, Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. Uh, the, the chain is called CKE Restaurants and they own both chains. And one of the frustrations that a number of our owners had was that, indeed, they, they felt that they were overwhelmed in their restaurant with the current sales and that they could do no more sales. It was as they were doing as well as they could do. And what was actually happening is that you arrive at bottlenecks in the store. So we started taking a look at data and, and looking at why is it that different stores are able to accommodate different sales volumes. And we, we had some major learnings in looking at the data. And one of the very first things we looked at was off-premise. Um, and the easiest one to look at is a drive-through business. And just about every chain captures data about the cars that are coming through the drive-through. So you know when they arrived, when they got to the window to pay, when they drove off. So you you pretty much know what your service time is per customer. And what we began looking at was what is the service time per customer in a given very busy hour versus the number of customers that could have been serviced. So it's very simple mathematics if you think about it. If it takes you 60 seconds, one minute, to take care of each customer in the drive-through on average, then in an hour, the most you can accomplish is 60 customers, each one taking a minute. So what we took a look at was all of the data across all the different restaurants. And during those busy time periods, what are their service times per customer? And what was the maximum number? And what we identified were uh, a large number of restaurants that were at their maximum. They were servicing 60 customers in 60-minute uh, service times, for example, 
or they were servicing 120 customers with 30 second times. And so what it what it immediately raised uh, in our minds was we have a huge opportunity here. Why is there an opportunity in the drive-through if you're at your max time? Because if you improve your service time, take it from 60 seconds down to 50 seconds, you've just gained 10 seconds. It doesn't sound like a lot, but believe it or not, across an hour, you can service five more customers. And if you get it down to 40 seconds, you can service about 12 more customers per hour. And the next question is, of course, well, but what if there's not another 10 customers? And what we found was that during particular peak periods, let's take breakfast and lunch as great examples. At breakfast time, everybody's on their way to work and they're going to grab something and take it in with them. But they got to start time and they usually want to get in on time for that. So they're under pressure. And if you can't take care of me, I'll drive on. Similarly, at lunchtime, everybody's got either a half hour or an hour lunchtime. And they're going to manage where they go based upon how much time they have. How quickly do you get me through your line? If you happen to be a chain like Chick-fil-A, uh, which is a great concept, uh, and they have got great people working that are well-trained to get those customers through. And of course, they've got very common items that are ordered by everyone and they can cook it kind of in bulk. What that means is that even though you might see eight cars in the waiting line, people will jump in the waiting line because they know each one is going to take, relatively speaking, about 20 to 30 seconds each. So I'm going to get through very fast. Other chains, you might be waiting, if, that, if, you, if they've got eight or 10 cars, you might be waiting for five, 10 minutes. And you might say, you know what, I'm not coming here again because it takes too long. So indeed, during your peak periods, you have got a lot of customers that will be willing to come through if you're, that particular store is presently at their max output that they can achieve given their current methods. So that's where things like kitchen AI comes in. But what brought it all to mind was looking at the data and finding opportunities. And that's, again, what data, data is not important just to capture it. It's not uh, there to pat yourself on the back and to say, we've done a great job or kick yourself in the behind saying, geez, we we're doing an abysmal job. But rather what it does is it identifies areas where you have problems that you can improve. Um, it lets you know when you're off track with your consumers, for example, you've uh, you've introduced a new item that, quite frankly, nobody really wants it. Uh, you've got to change your tack there. And it lets you know your opportunities where you've got areas where, indeed, if you can improve them, you can build your business. So the data is of paramount importance, not in and of itself, but in the analytics that it can drive. Yeah. So if we're talking about, you know, operators who have um, – successfully or who are trying to successfully layer, um, let's say catering and delivery, but you are also doing takeout, like how can, how can the use of AI and that data kind of help them? Cause as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, if your store is already at peak, but then you add in like a delivery, a delivery order from a third party or a takeout order from a call-in or a catering order from uh, your online ordering platform, 
Like, how does that get merged into what's going on in the store as well? You know, in a, in a store, an order is an order to, to start with. So the store doesn't really care how it's come in, but it's rather, when do I need to get this prepared? And then how do I get it to that consumer? And the only difference there is with catered orders. When a store just begins doing catering, it's a, it's a new arena for them and one that they're totally ill-prepared for. So let me attack the other ones first. You know, whether you're going to do it via drive-through, uh, if you're familiar with the concept Itza, Itza is a, uh, usually a, it is a takeaway order, but you come on premise to get it. All of those, even though you may believe that things are changing between drive-through and eat here versus carry-out versus delivery, they're still the same orders. And so you have continuity there, but what you do have to do is you have to change some things like packaging. And again, that's where now AI comes in very nicely and having the automation in the kitchen because... As you know, there have been some recent articles, for example, about tampering drivers, tampering with some of the orders and maybe grabbing some of the French fries out as they're delivering an order. Yes, yes. So Didn't you say like 22%? Not to interrupt. That's exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You've been been hearing the same things on TV as as myself, Valerie. And uh, it is. It's 22%. And of course, none of us want somebody else touching our French fries. It's just that simple, whatever the food might be. So for those companies that haven't started, we can certainly bet everybody's going to begin taking a look at packaging. How can I create some tamper-proof packaging such that the consumer can be confident that nobody has tampered with their meal? And so first thing I think of is a carton put everything into some kind of carton, call it a box. And when you close that box, it probably closes more like a milk carton uh, where it comes to a peak at the top and it probably will have some tab that folds over. And if somebody has opened it to get in and look inside, I'll know it because that tab will be broken. So one of the key things in the restaurant is going to be, well, which which of these orders do I need to put into a a carton for home delivery via uh, Grubhub or otherwise? Or do I need to put this in a bag because this consumer is in the drive-thru? Or do I put it on a tray because they're going to eat this here? And again, having all the automation in the kitchen simplifies that by letting everybody know how does this need to be prepared? If you think about today, today the kitchen cooks items and they usually put it into a transfer cabinet and then somebody else does the packaging up front. Now that's great for many of the things, but some of the things, quite frankly, are better done in the kitchen in terms of putting them into the proper containers, especially when you start talking about trying to optimize the kitchen. No longer are you really talking about a single person working on each different order. Instead, now you can have some teamwork 
because the system can realize I've got a large order here. This person wants three cheeseburgers, uh, two orders of chicken wings and something else. Well, I might have one cook taking care of getting the, the cheeseburgers put together. And I might instruct another cook to go ahead and take care of the chicken wings. And I tell them both to put those in, call it carton A, which is in a particular location on the on the transfer bin so that everything comes together all at one time. Those things aren't possible in today's environment, your normal kitchen. But as soon as you introduce things like voice cues instead of people needing to run around and find out displays um, and the ability to coordinate their efforts between themselves and other workers in the kitchen, then things like AI do a dramatic improvement in optimizing your uh, efficiency in that kitchen. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I cannot imagine. I would think it would be beneficial because I cannot imagine being the customer who opens, you know, that box box of chicken wings and just finds like a bone. Oh, that would be a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> that would not make your day for sure. So there's, yeah. you know, there's there's different methods that can be employed. And I'm sure there's there are people that have got much greater expertise than I in how you do packaging and do tamper-proof things. But yeah. there's some obvious things that can be done there. But when you do that, you're introducing another operation in that restaurant, and that is, now how do I need to package this item? You're not going to want to use the more expensive packaging for your drive through for example, or carry-out. Um, so indeed you've complicated things in the restaurant when you do so. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. In talking about, and kind of getting back to data, what kind of data do you most look to, or do you think operators should look to, um, when, when driving sales to different off-premise channels and, and how can AI help with that and, um, and sort of help operators kind of take the next best steps? You know, there's really, and I'm going to hit two different areas for you, Valerie. One is okay. operationally, what do you need to, to what I'll call optimize your operation? The other one is marketing. Um, how, how in sync am I and attuned to the desires of consumers am I? Um, let me hit the, the second one first, because that's really the exciting one. It is the environment of restaurants today is ultra competitive. Every day there's new chains that are, are arriving. There's new stores being popped up. And what that means is that our competitive landscape is getting more and more crowded. And we're all fighting for the same share of stomach. Everybody can only eat so much in a day. And so indeed, we're vying to get a greater portion of those consumers. So the first thing you got to do is know the consumer. And it's a new area of analytics that everybody is delving into. I'll suggest to you that uh, there's a lot of room for improvement at a number of different companies in the area of social data. And that is you're okay. within all of the social media, what are the different systems that are available to, so that you better understand your consumer and how, how your particular restaurant concept is being received and promoted by those uh, consumers. And those are what I call the footprints. The consumers that are off-premise, you know, maybe they got it via home delivery or drive-through, 
They're not in your restaurant. They're not going to give you immediate feedback, but they are going to do so through social media very often. And those are the footprints that they leave. Those give you the clues on how you're doing, where you need to improve, what are some of the areas that you need to grow a bit to capitalize on their desires. And they're leaving the footprints all the time, but a number of companies are not watching those footprints. And that is via the different uh, analytic systems that are typically referred to as your social listening tools. And there's a lot of them. Um, there's some, more, uh, some of them are more popular than others. Salesforce is one that's very popular. Uh, Coros, Sprinkler, and all of them watch social media. They watch for your company name, your brand names, some different keywords. You can watch not only your own, you can watch others so that you can get some competitive information. And it gives you a wealth of information that is active information again, which in the other term is just in time. And that is mm -hmm. you're getting immediate feedback. And there's a few interesting things in marketing. If, if you have gotten um, a bad review, let's say, some consumer is unhappy or dissatisfied, you can either take the brunt of that and they're going to publicize that. And, and indeed, that can hurt your business. Or if you immediately get back with the consumer, do an apology, invite them back in, studies have shown that if you get back to that consumer within the first 24 hours, you take what would be a demerit against your company, and instead you get a compliment out of it. And very often those same customers will tune around on their social media and they'll say, you're not going to believe this. I put this down mm -hmm. and 30 minutes later, I got a call from the store and my goodness, they, they really took care of me. All of a sudden, you got a star on your forehead instead of the kick in the butt. So indeed, just in time or your active data is really important. And that's the social media piece that's very new for a lot of companies. And many of them that are have not picked up on it as of yet need to now. Those that don't, uh, you know, one of one of the favorite acronyms that has been around for a long time for those that have been in the business is BI, business intelligence. But when people start talking about BI, that tells you a lot about the person when they're talking about the analytics on it, because for all of the new consumers, BI has a totally different meaning, and that is before internet. And so when you begin learning that indeed there's new ways of doing things, new ways of interacting, you got to take a look at the newer methods and many companies aren't doing that today. On the upside, there's, there's a lot of data that gets accumulated by any point of sale system that they may have in use. The key is not getting as much as you can, but it's getting great quality data, um, as it's coming into your system, which means validating it. There are so many companies out there that just store the data in raw format only to find that years later it's a, oh my gosh, we've, we've uh, recycled all of our product numbers and we don't know what's what from the, the past now. Or nobody validated timings and you find that 
timings weren't being recorded for a, a six-month time frame. There's a lot of different data issues that can occur. So the first thing is validate. But maybe we'll talk a little bit about ownership uh, in this conversation if we have the time a little bit later. But what's most important is, from my perspective, not what department in a company owns it, but it's that the company does own it. And what I mean by that is when you have, let's say you've got a cloud-based point of sale system and all of the data goes up into the cloud and it's stored by the vendor and they give you ready access, but you change vendors. Now you got to worry about, well, what about my historical data? So, and maybe you were smart enough to put in the contract that we get it, but now the issue also becomes, well, when do I get it? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I need the data now. We do daily or weekly reports that uh, are driving our directions, and it is not a, at all uncommon, and I, I have firsthand experience in this, to find that, indeed, when you've got a third party that is housing and doing, they are essentially the custodian of your data. Don't assume that when you sever the relationship that you are going to quickly get all that data back. So the first recommendation I have for everyone is whenever you can, house your own data. When it happens to be in the cloud, then you structure your contract such that on a nightly basis, you get all the data updates from the preceding day. And that way you are always certain that you have the data you can give that to other third parties that you might uh, enlist to do some analytics or, and work with it. So indeed, data, the ownership piece is not as, what's less important is who is managing it. What's more important is where is it housed such that you truly always have your data. Yeah, and that's, I was going to go into that piece. So thank you for, for nicely segueing for me. Um, how do you feel about this fight between operators and third parties about the data? And, you know, how would you from a, you know, again, like you're so data centric given your um, focus on technology throughout your career. Like what would you, what would you thought? Like if you could, you know, if you were your younger self or um, when you were just starting out, to, would you have thought that it would have become such a battle? First of all, Valerie, I am forever young. So, <laughs> so it is, whether it's today or a couple of years ago, you know what? I always stay current with all of the technologies. And the first thing that I do in contracts is I am insistent that I have availability of those of the data. I can tell you that okay. there was only one instance in which we walked away from one particular vendor that said, we're not going to do that. And of course, the way it came out of their mouth was that we can't do that. And I have never found anything that I've been presented with in terms of can you do this where I've ever said I can't. Okay. Pretty much everything that can be done with a computer, you can get it done. And in today's world, even with, let me just, in terms of keeping current on things, most people don't realize um, how quickly things have progressed in not only their field, but in other fields. And just by way of example of how things can get done today that maybe weren't as readily possible 10 years ago, today, literally, you can 
get have your own satellite and believe it or not you can put it in orbit for about $8000 you can if you happen to be in manufacturing and if you are in uh, the business that puts together electronic boards printed circuit boards what used to take a factory and uh, roughly about a dozen workers you can now have on your desk, it'll be delivered to you in a two foot by two foot box uh, from Samsung. And indeed, it, it can uh, install 10,000 components on a board easily. And again, your cost is about $10,000. So things can be done very readily. And what I always find is that if there's somebody that can't do it, there is somebody else standing in line that can. So don't ever compromise on data availability. Make sure you always have it because if you don't, at the time of contract, there is likelihood that you will at least have a delay in getting the data if you sever the relationship in the future. And you may also possibly not even get the data. So always important to do. Do you think that the size of the operation matters. For example, if you're an independent, how you know is the weight of location a determining factor in whether you get told yes or no? Yeah, and and, and of course it does. Uh, everybody yeah. that has more locations has more leverage, uh, and there are those companies that won't even they don't even want to work with you when you are. Uh, a small franchise, for example, unless there's some umbrella from a parent company. If you happen mm-hmm. to be a mom and pop, um, it becomes yet even more challenging. But the interesting thing there is that your need for data as a mom and pop is almost greater than somebody that's got a lot of locations because they're able oh, yeah. to do some things that average yeah. out. Uh, and for you, this is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So it it is a dilemma. It's an unfortunate um, aspect of doing business with third parties. But indeed, when you're small, uh, you just don't have the leverage and you're not able to get everything that you want. That should never hinder you. Um, Correct. Yeah. All that means is that instead of working directly with a vendor, you may instead need to work more with integrators. You get yourself the engineers, or usually they are termed integrators, and they get those pieces figured out. And they do have typically more leverage because they work with a lot of different companies. And there's a lot of them out there. And you just have to know when you need to go uh, directly to a vendor. What's my size that says, go directly to one of the large point of sale vendors, for example, versus when do I go with one of the point of sale integrators that are out there and probably um, they are eager to take on my business, even if I only have one restaurant. So different way of accomplishing the same end goal, but you have to just know that indeed you use different tax uh, depending upon your size. Yeah. Well, there's, we can always find a way around almost any anything, I think, if you just have to kind of have the determination to do it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. So, Jeff, 
we've covered so much here and great information. And I want our listeners to know how to find you. Great. Well, first off, I'm a, again, my name is Jeff Chasney and people are always welcome to uh, send me emails directly, jchasney at jchasney.com. So that's simple enough. Uh, I have a website, uh, daringsolutionsllc.com and they can look me up there. And for the most part, they can speak with uh, others that are in the industry providing services um, or via the conferences, uh, most people know of me. So I'm easy to, to get in touch with in general. And I love chatting with people. If it's, if it's just giving advice, I do uh, some consulting to companies as well um, in terms of how to optimize doing some analytics on where are there opportunities in the store? What are the best systems to uh, to bring in? And with all these new areas, people need to not only acquire new systems, but they also need to acquire knowledge on how do I need to change the way I do business uh, in order to capitalize on it. So whether that be repurposing things, that are already existing in your restaurants. I'm going to give you one great example there, Valerie, if we've got the time. Okay. Uh, and and yes, this is a company that uh, I, I, I love burgers, pizza, peanut butter jellies, all the different junk items. And so I know all the different places. And Sonic does a great job on a number of their items. One of the challenges, in my opinion, of Sonic is that their concept of being a drive-in which is not a drive-through, of course. You drive in with your car, you park in one of the stalls, and you order your items, and, and most of the, many of the people eat it right there. Some of them drive off. But repurposing uh, is a great example, and that's a piece of my advice to Sonic, uh, was repurpose your, your drive-in, make it a massive drive-through, and convert those to drive-through stalls, uh, using some of your dumb waiter conveyor systems that are readily available out there, and you can get uh, fabricators that'll come in and do those things. So sometimes it's repurposing what you have, sometimes it's rethinking your business, and that's a piece of Sonic as well. But instead of looking at things as they are, looking at the dots and trying to get outside of those and saying, what if I had a brand new sheet of paper. And usually the best way of doing that doesn't need a Jeff Chasney, but very often it needs somebody from the outside looking in and asking the question, what would you do differently? You know what? I don't seem to be in tune, in sync with everything nowadays. How do I rethink these things and uh, bring in consultants to, because very often they'll see something you didn't, not because they're smarter, not because they're necessarily more current on the technologies, but they're not as close. And so they're mm -hmm. not hampered with knowing how things work today. Instead, they look at it and, say, and see what it can be. So just a good piece of advice for everyone, which is never, never be embarrassed to ask people to look at things and uh, have another set of eyes on them. It's a great thing to do. Great words of wisdom. Thank you. You are welcome. And that's all for our show today. I'd like to thank Jeff Chasney, founder and CEO of Daring Solutions, for joining us. Jeff, thank you. Valerie, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Yes, it was. Thanks.